Hi, this is Anarima. This is Diara, And welcome to Pass the Mic. This week we'll be talking about immigration and dealing with family. And both the pros and cons of this unrealistic but also realistic American dream. We'll also get into the idea of America's hypocrisy when it comes to immigrants and immigration. Um, so my name's Aya Kutma. Um, I'm a senior at the University of Michigan. Um, I'm the I'm a second generation immigrant um, or children of immigrants. Both my parents immigrated from Syria, um, and I grew up. I was born in New York, but I grew up my entire life in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and as to kind of like the balance of how, for me being the children of Syrian immigrants um, is actually one of the strongest identities I hold um, because of a lot of things that it that passed down along with it um, and also relative to where I grew up, which is Kentucky, um, which is um, very different. Um, so uh, so part of a lot of it has like a Come down, it comes down to like the culture and the religion. Um, also, they're Syrian immigrants, they're also Muslim. Um, I'm Muslim. Um, I also wear the hijab, which is like a very visible form of my faith. Um, so, honestly, I feel like it's it's so intricately tied with my identity. Like, I, I don't even feel comfortable sometimes saying like I'm just. Like, when people ask where I'm from, I <laughs> I always gauge it differently and respond in turn. Um, but. Um, I always say like I'm Syrian American because I do feel that both are very intricate to my identity because the stories that the, the culture that my parents raised me with um, was very much the culture they grew up in and they really tried to like pass that down almost exactly like verbatim um, obviously <laughs> to some successes and failures um, but I think on top of just like the culture um, and like the religious values that I was passed down with. Um, it's also like the ones that I ended up taking up myself. Um, and for example, like me, my with my Muslim identity and me wearing the hijab, that it, it, both things were huge because again, it was like relative to where I grew up in. So I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I always say Louisville is very diverse, um, but it's very um, segregated. Um, and we lived on, like we lived in East Louisville. Um, which is majority white. Um, Louisville in general is still majority white, but um, so, and I ended up going to schools and stuff where I used, like I have a twin sister. Um, she doesn't go here, but um, uh, my sister and I used to be the only ones, like always, it was always like everyone was white and then we were the only like any type of mix. <laughs> so um, only Arabs, Muslims, whatever. Um, and like always got a range of reactions. So kind of the reaction to us just by virtue of our identities, even before like I wore the hijab and became like visibly Muslim, just having um, a darker quote unquote, <laughs> I don't even like that term, um, skin color or this or that, um, or just the way we looked or um, the way my parents looked. Um, and the accents they had at like parent-teacher conferences, it, was, it provoked a very strong reaction, um, oftentimes in the negative. Um, and because of that, um, it almost, it always just made me go back and question it. So I like really grew up questioning my identities a lot. Um, at times like hating it. It's always like this love-hate relationship, obviously. It came, comes out love, um, but it's just by virtue of like the social group that you're in. Um, and then also because um, in, 2011, um, the Syrian revolution began, 
began um, then turned into a war um, and I we used to go back to Syria every summer to visit our family um, and then we could like no longer do that um, and then there were like stories like my, my own family was very much affected by um, the events that happened and unfolded and that only again made me turn more inwards um, and kind of like hold on to my identity almost as a form of like, resistance <laughs> and just as a, as a show um, and so I've always I know it's always like a, a question a debate and it should be it should be a question debate with every um with all with everyone who's like first gen second gen any like um with immigrants um but for me it's one that i still till now hold very very tightly to so i think growing up i was always like um, when I was much younger, of course, um, and part of me hates myself for it, but I always just, like resist kind of like the the attempts from my, of my family to like really just pass down the culture. Like for example, they were very strict on only speaking Arabic in the house. Um, they didn't understand a lot of like American culture um, when it comes to, like like Halloween, and so they just didn't participate. <laughs> so I was like, can I do Halloween? No, <laughs> um, things like that. Um, like Christmas, Secret Santa, they just, they didn't understand it, um, and for them it was like, um, and I, I really understand where it came from, from their perspective now, um, of them, like for them it's the one thing they can pass down, so they like really held strictly to it, um, but it was a, it was, it was a fight sometimes, a lot of the times when I was growing up, uh, it was very frustrating for me to have to kind of like deal with this disconnect and these like dual universe of like, oh, school, then home, then that. Um, I was like able to like coalesce them, I think, when I came to college. But um, I think like even even the university, like for me being like at the University of Michigan is such a privilege um, that I was like able to be granted. Um, and for a lot of reasons, it was so different for me. It's also like, so it's like culturally different, like weird, like why why do you have to leave to go to college? <laughs> why couldn't you just go, for example, the University of Louisville? Um, so why I left was a huge issue um, for my family, like kind of like pushing my way through that because um, it wasn't something that was like well regarded, um, both within them and outside them. Like obviously for them, it was always like education, education, because we want our children to like have the lives that we didn't have. Um, and sometimes that like weighs heavily on me, even like at the university, um, understanding like the privilege it is to be here. And I always feel like I have to take advantage of <laughs> every single resource or every single opportunity or this or that, um, almost as like um, to give, as a thank you to my parents um, for like bringing me to the way I am um, and sometimes it's hard to like because you, you just go here and you like live in this like university bubble with all these things and, and it's hard to like sometimes go back and almost not like go back to like the I guess the real world per se um, but to go back and it, it's a completely different world and, and it sometimes makes you feel like alone almost um, because there's only like, so much you can like bring back to them but then they also have their own struggles and their own things that they're going through um, um, so it's like so much I can chat about my classes um, <laughs> but um, and like a lot of things they for example like they didn't understand and it, I was also I chose a route that wasn't like very Arab of me which wasn't a doctor um, <laughs> I still get flack for it. <laughs> um, the other day, my dad was like, um, 
when I was telling him, I was like, my debate between academia or law, he's like, you just do a PhD, so they call you a doctor. It's <laughs> like, that's not how it works. Um, but it was something so different for them, because for them, like, law was the worst thing you could do. Um, like, lawyers in Syria were with the government, they were corrupt, they were liars, um, blah, 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 they were dumb. Like, if you got a dumb score on your baccalaureate, you became a lawyer. Um, so they did not explain it to their family when they're like, my daughter wants to do law. Um, and then also like things like internships, this, that, like they just didn't understand. And it was like, sometimes it, it really, I think it really hurt them. And it like, it hurt me to like make, like give them pain and like explain it to them. Things like, why do I have to be away for that summer? For example, like why do I have to pursue an internship? And in, I don't know, I ended up both summers in New York. In New York, um, why do I have to travel? Why do I have to do this? Um, why was I always like taking away time that they really wanted to spend with me? Um, those are things like they, they didn't understand. Um, and I don't know, so it is, I guess I don't know if that answers your question. Being a student here at, you know, a top public university has definitely made me feel guilty um, for having access to spaces where other undocumented people are not, um, including my parents, and also uh, my family navigated a lot of, um, apart from navigating a lot of barriers, um, we had to assimilate a lot. Um, one of which um, was me translating translating for my parents. Um, now they know a little bit more English, but at the same time they kind of had to um, forget a part of their identity, um, which I completely have... Um, regrets for not learning their indigenous language. So um, my parents speak Otomi, which is um, an indigenous regional language back um, in Hidalgo. And when I came here, um, I was only taught Spanish, which is also a colonizer language, ironically. Um, and so what we do is we kind of like try to assimilate into this dominant culture in the United States by letting go of our roots and letting go of our languages and our culture. Um, so I've had a difficult time navigating um, my background, um, but as well, like um, for me personally, I have felt guilty. Um, like I said before, um, my brother is a transfer student and he was supposed to attend this university, but um, he was denied um, in-state tuition, I mean, classification in general, um, even though we have lived together since, I mean, we, we literally have the same experience, but because he took more months to, um, to work and afford his community college, um, the university didn't accept him, I guess. He got accepted to university and he deserves to be here, but he's not and so now we're like having trouble with his uh college um applications and admissions right now um so while he's home and working i'm over here you know having um having to navigate the university but at the same time feeling unworthy and It's, it's definitely a big hurdle because um, as immigrants, um, we have feelings of not 
feeling like we belong in spaces like this university, feeling um, feeling like we're not worthy of the education or feeling guilty for um, having access to something that our parents couldn't or our family members couldn't. But at the same time, it's also something that motivates you, um, being this resilient person um, and knowing that you'll be able to give back to your family, knowing that you know, you're, the next generation is gonna have more resources and more knowledge and it's just like this whole um, generational um, year, okay. <laughs> um, knowing, knowing that I have the information that I have and knowing that I'm gonna graduate from this university, I'd be able to help my um, future children and my family right now, and I think that's what um, is driving, it's, it's a big driving force. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I guess for me, I don't really, um, luckily, like there's not many barriers when it comes to like my life on this campus and when I go back home and visit my family. Um, the biggest thing I will say is my both my parents um, still believe that America is the greatest nation of all, even though the system failed them ridiculously. It's come to the extent where, um, so they have a green card and they visit every six months and they have to enter the country every six months in order to keep their green card. But uh, I remember like the other day, not the other day, what am I saying? Last time they visited, which was like in April, we were at Walmart. And um, so because my mom does not um, speak quote unquote like fluent English, um, when I was growing up, she would only speak to me in Sindhi, which is um, the language that I speak back home. I'm, my mom grew up in rural Sindh and Urdu, which is a national language of Pakistan. I think that's the only two reason. That's the only reason I actually learned those two languages. If it wasn't for her, like only communicating with me in those languages, so I respect her a lot for that. I mean, at that at that point, I was like six years old and annoyed at it. But now, like saying that I'm trilingual is pretty cool. Um, but anyway, so because she can't really communicate her thoughts in English to people that work here and live here, um, she's constantly, like, experiences forms of racism, um, whether that be microaggressions or overtly, like, racism. So I remember we were at Walmart and she was trying to explain um, or show her prescription to the pharmacist, and the pharmacist was just being really rude and talking to her in a very harsh manner. And I remember that's when I, like my dad was there, I was there, and I looked at him to his face and I said, you cannot talk to my mother like that. She's trying to explain something to you. Like, do not talk to her like that. And when I walked out of Walmart, I remember I was so upset because it's like, how dare you? And I remember my dad saying like, and I was talking about white supremacy and racism in the United States. And I remember my dad looking at me and going like, it's not all that bad. And I was like, you're kidding. Like, why do you still believe that this country is going to benefit like people like us right now, like in 2019 with the Trump administration, like, you know, constantly screwing everything up for us. So I guess the biggest barrier for me is explaining my activism to my family because they didn't have that growing up. And even when they were living here, they didn't 
that wasn't a thing. Like, the youth mobilizing for something, like, greater than them was not a thing. So that's the biggest barrier I have in terms of that. And just, like you said, like, being at this institution, um, both my brothers graduated from institutions similar to this, but I always feel like I have definitely had things handed to me in the sense that when my brothers were going to school full-time, they were also working full-time night shifts, and they definitely had to work really hard to get to where they are um, in the sense that, like, all their paychecks would go to my parents. So, and I know that I don't have to do that. Like, the paychecks I do get from this school at research, like, just go to my, like, spending at like Piata or Chipotle (laughs) but so just like little things like that that I feel like I have handed to me and I don't deserve and the whole concept of like activism in the United States today and how I don't know if my parents don't understand that because they just don't they don't understand why I'm doing it or because they're scared that I will get into trouble one day whether it comes to me being arrested for my civic engagement or just causing rides on the street. Who knows? Stay tuned. (laughs) I think for my family, the most, um, the way that these differences have manifested the greatest is through the language. Um, I also grew up speaking Urdu and I used to get made fun of a lot because I didn't really understand like when when someone says bite me it's an expression and I like actually bit a girl's finger and then uh, got suspended in first grade um so so things like that and so my parents kind of they spoke Urdu at home to me and and I grew up speaking Urdu but they realized that it was kind of hindering the way that society would view us and at that time we were living in Louisiana so um, it is a little bit different (laughs) than Michigan now so um, so I still spoke Urdu at home but they encouraged me to kind of speak English and of course I think a lot of children of immigrants really go to school and like really try to kind of erase that identity, the other identity, at least for a little bit, um, so that they can fit in and not get made fun of when they're the only only person of color in the room. Um, so I know that I, I really tried to do that to the extent that I stopped talking to my parents in Urdu, even when I came home. Um, and uh, when, when Alisa was born, um, when we adopted her from Pakistan, like we obviously had to use Urdu like to navigate Pakistan for the time that we were there. But Alisa had some learning difficulties and she was getting really confused with the different languages. So um, we kind of reverted to speaking English. And, and so it's just been kind of a constant journey because now like nobody in my family speaks Urdu. And, and it's been a really strange kind of phenomenon to witness because going from like my earliest childhood memories only in Urdu and to now like coming home and being greeted in English um, and the only kind of remnants of our language is like through the faith. So it's really strange um, and it's really bizarre and I know that they did it to kind of make it easier for us um, to be accepted and to, to grow up Um, feeling more safe and included but I think it also really 
like they felt that it would benefit them as well. Like my dad was a doctor, like practicing in Louisiana, and often like on the the basis of his skin tone or his accent, like some patients would refuse to be seen by him. So I think that these kind of erasures specifically of the language were really I don't know. I think that they thought that it would benefit them, and I and I guess it has, which really speaks to the way that we need to assimilate in order to like make it work in these kind of systems and these structures. Um, but it's like it's really it's really painful to see that like my parents don't have accents anymore because of like how hard they tried to constantly speak English, like no matter where they were. Um, they even speak to their parents in English now, and like it's like it's pretty rare that I see them like actually speak um, Urdu or Gujarati or um, any other like Kachi or any other language that they had learned to speak before um, in front of us. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much to everyone on this podcast. We appreciate you all a lot. And I know it's like a lot of emotional energy to tell your stories. Um, and hopefully our listeners got some insightful meaning out of this. Yes, thank you all. This was a great episode. Thank you for sharing your stories with us. And don't forget to pass the mic.